2: Showing your good side has many rewards. Become a donor at Griffles Plasma and your plasma can make life-saving medicines. Millions of people depend on these medicines to live healthier, more active lives. And every time you donate with Griffles Plasma, you're compensated. You can receive over $500 the first month. Learn more about plasma and how it helps people at Grifflesplasma.com.
3: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up!
1: Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me as always, stepping into this octagon, if you will, is my partner in crime, who you know and love, as the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, the octagon, of course, I say in jest, but it appeared (laughs) as if two guys at Broncos camp on Monday, that's where they would have preferred to have been.
2: Yeah, and you know it's bad, Chad, when Derek Wolf of all people, is the peacemaker, as he was today, stepping and intervening as with Joe Flacco between uh, Cortland Sutton, and Emmanuel Sanders today. They were throwing hands, Chad. Hands, water bottles, elbows, everything out there. It got pretty ugly. You know, we talk about it, that these fights are not surprising, they're inevitable, but it, it reaches a new level when it escalates to physical violence as it did today, and I, know, I hate to put it in such a grand term, but you can't have that happen between two players on the same team, and as Fangio said, and as we'll get to, it just can't happen. Yeah, so
1: much to get to today, we're going to dive into it here shortly, but just a couple of quick matters of business. If you're new to the show, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at HuddleUpPot, Pot. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the Huddle Up podcast in real time. If you're a new listener, you found us on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like, comment. And as always, wherever you're listening to this show, if you like what you hear, share it out there. Put it out on social media. Help us reach new listeners, and especially on iTunes as well. Leave a creative review and a five-star rating if you like what you hear. Fantasy football fans, listen up. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, we know you do, then you need to enter the $3.5 million Best Ball Championship on draft. That's right, $3.5 million in real money. It's freaking huge. Now, it's season-long. Here's how draft works. It's season-long, but with no micromanagement. You just set it and forget it. So what does that mean? No longer are you having to agonize over the matchups and who to start and All that, they take care of that for you. They're automatically going to start your most efficient lineup based on all the projections, based on all the momentum, so you don't have to worry about it. You set it, you forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. You don't even have to set your lineup, as mentioned. Your best players automatically get started, and you'll get the best score each and every week, guaranteed. For a limited time only, you can get a free entry into the best ball championship When you make your first deposit, but you have to use our promo code HUDDLE. That's right, a free shot at a million dollars just by using our promo code HUDDLE when you make your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and come play free with promo code HUDDLE. We thank Draft for
3: sponsoring
1: the Huddle Up podcast. All right, Zach. So let's set the stage real quick to what happened on Monday. Basically, it was kind of a a funky day for the Denver Broncos. And it started off, and we'll talk more about this later in the show, but it started off with on a good note, oddly enough, in that Emmanuel Sanders was finally unleashed to participate in 11 on 11. So for the first time, the complete first team offense was out on the field because Juwan James was out there at right tackle, Ron Leary was out there. Everyone was out there, including Sanders. And initially it looked really good. It looked like a different product. And again, we'll talk more about that here in a minute. Everything seemed to be going well. And then the Broncos got bogged down by a couple of false starts, some penalties on the offensive line, one of which, of course, came from Garrett Bowles. And then a fight erupts, not just a, you know, argument, But fisticuffs thrown between Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton that had to be broken up from what I've been told a couple of different times, a few different times, maybe as many as three different times. And obviously, in training camp practices and practice in general, fights are common. You know, we talked a lot early on about how, you know, we were surprised early that there hadn't been any fights. It took a while for that first little incident to to take place at Broncos camp. But what makes this so, so in, in that sense, a fight is not that unusual. What makes this particularly a unique situation, though, though, Zach, is the fact that it was two teammates from the same side of the ball, from the same depth chart, yeah. two wide receivers going at each other. So it wasn't just. A lot of times the way a fight gets started in practice is two guys, one on offense, one on defense, are going against each other in a, on, on a snap, and maybe one guy doesn't take kindly to how hard the other guy's going or you know, thinks that he was dirty on a play or just pushed a little too hard or hit too hard or whatever, and the guy snaps and tempers fly, and then it's quickly diffused, and that's that. When it's between two teammates on the same side of the ball from the same depth chart, though, Zach, obviously that speaks to – further implications. In other words, this sounds and is, let's not just say sounds, this is more of a product of some resentment and issues that have been building between Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton over at least the last few months. And we can theorize why. We can theorize what seems to be, uh, you know, the bone that these two are picking between each other. But, Zach, I have to think that it has a little something to do. We don't know exactly what triggered it today. Well, we can theorize I can't help but think, though, it has a little something to do with Emmanuel Sanders um, watching Cortland Sutton anoint himself as the number one receiver when the Broncos showed up at OTAs in April.
2: Yeah, you know, Chad, it's it's a good theory, I think, because Sanders sees the renting on the wall. He knows what everyone's talking about. He sees what Sutton does on the field, and he knows Sutton is the future, and Sanders knows he's probably just a one-year rental for this Broncos team right now coming off an injury. But when you talk about the players that are fighting – Look at the players. This is not Derek Wolf and Connor McGovern going at it, two guys that you would expect to go at it. This is Emmanuel Sanders who, who paints himself and projects himself as a leader and Cortland Sutton, who is a great student of the game, a great teammate, an up-and-coming star for the Broncos. It's unusual, so that says to me that it wasn't just a – uh, a coincidence it wasn't just a one-time thing like you said there's some personal resentment here there's a personal thing brewing and I have to think it's some sort of power struggle between Sanders not wanting to give up that wide receiver one throne and he'll have sudden pride from his cold dead hands that's honestly what it feels like to me yeah. and if it's if it's not that uh, I don't think what else it could be especially what we heard Sanders said on the field after what he said in Sutton's direction, which you can expound on.
1: Yeah, to paraphrase Sanders, he was observed saying, screaming multiple times over and over, you haven't done expletive, expletive in this league. So, in other words, he's saying whatever, whatever affront Sanders interpreted from Cortland Sutton, what he's saying at the bottom is that whatever you're doing, your play hasn't justified that yet. You need to take a step back. You haven't proven anything out on the field. And that's, in one sense, I don't want to say I'm siding with anybody because I'm just analyzing this thing for you guys. On, but That's why I say, though, however, that I'm a little bit more inclined to understand where Sanders might be coming from because if you look at what happened with Cortland Sutton last year, I mean, he got off to a great start as the third receiver onto the field behind Sanders and Demarius Thomas before the trade. Made some plays. A lot of times the defense just didn't see him coming. Then, however, when he was inserted as a starter following the Demarius Thomas trade from week nine on, he, fought, he failed to kind of find those consistent flash plays like we saw the first half of the season. And then really, if you look at the final quarter of the season where he went from being a starter to being the de facto number one in the final quarter of the season after Sanders went down with that Achilles, let me remind everybody how bad Cortland Sutton was. Not only did the offense come to a screeching halt with Sanders off the field, but Sant but Sutton himself had two of those final four games in which he was the number one, two of those games he had two or less receptions, one of them was for two two catches, one was a single reception and so for, and he talked he's talked about in fairness to Sutton he's talked about how much of a reality check that was, a wake up call in terms of the work it's going to take. He's not there yet to be a number one. But also the lessons that he learned from that in terms of helping him get to that next step so that the next time it comes, he's ready to be a number one. But still, Zach, even all that being said, we questioned it. When he said on April 2nd that I'm the number one receiver and I'm looking forward to being a leader and all these things, and we were like, whoa, on the podcast and our written articles we were like, right. stop the presses. Did the Broncos somehow pull Sutton aside and say, hey, look, you're the man. The torch has been passed because that's how he's talking. What we're finding out, I think, reading between the lines here, Zach, is that's not what happened. The Broncos did not pass the torch officially. Sutton took it upon himself to anoint himself the number one receiver. And all the while, while Sanders has been sidelined, licking his wounds, healing, getting better from that Achilles, the resentment has been building up. And finally, he hits the field today as a full participant in 11-on-11. And the floodgates open.
2: Yeah, you know, I don't think it's any sort of coincidence. And, you know, I love Sanders as a player. He's a great professional of the game. He's a, he's a great pass catcher. But let's look at his leadership or lack thereof where it's been the last couple of years. Uh, he He's known to blow off practice. Uh, he did that a few years ago. It was one of my first stories covering the Broncos. I remember that very fondly. And then he, you know, he's a very egocentric person. So it, it wouldn't surprise me that he's watched Sutton and he knows he's heard what's out there. It doesn't have to be said that the torch is going to be passed. The Broncos don't have to pull Sutton aside. It's obvious Sutton showed last year. He has wide receiver one traits. He is the future of this offense. Sanders limped into this year, literally and figuratively on the last year of his contract coming off an Achilles. What well, meanwhile Sutton's been dominating practice again. He's forming that chemistry with Joe Flacco. He's looking to, you know, have a breakout season to me. And then Sanders gets on the field for 11-on-11s for the first time, and then he, he, he erupts today, given the opportunity, given the fact that he's feeling himself. That's no coincidence to me. So it's a pure power play. It's a full ego move by Emmanuel Sanders. It doesn't take anything away from him. That's just the type of person or type of professional he is in this locker room. But it's no surprise that it happened today when he's trying to find his groove and he's trying to reclaim that reputation. He said it himself earlier this offseason. He wants to be a Pro Bowl receiver. He wants to be in the NFL top 100. Those little things mean a lot to him. Some players don't care about little accolades like that, but those titles mean a lot to Sanders. He doesn't want to give up that title of wide receiver one and he sees Cortland Sutton taking it.
3: And he is not happy about it, Chad.
1: Yeah, and it's just, it it didn't sound like by the time the practice concluded that there had been any, you know, burying of the hatchet. In fact, after practice, when uh, the Broncos were done, Sutton, I was told, ran to the back entrance to the locker room and was chased by Mike Kliss trying to get a comment, wouldn't give it to him, into the door, disappears. Meanwhile, Sanders very calmly Collects himself, walks straight through the media, through the front door, politely declines comment, and neither one of them ended up commenting on what happened. But to me, and of course, here's the thing, a lot of fans don't maybe don't realize this, but the, their day is not over once practice is, is done. I mean, they go inside, they're going to eat... Uh, they might catch a shower, but they're going to eat. They're going to work out. They might lift. They're going to go into the, the film room. They're going to have meetings. They're going to be stuck with each other further on throughout the day. So it's probably going to be some, you know, hopefully uh, not so awkward in terms of let's hope that once they got out from the scrutiny of everybody else and, you know, they're inside the building, maybe they could iron out the kinks. I don't know. But what I've told, what I've been told is this, and here's what I don't – I can't say for sure which – of these are true I heard two different things I was told two different things and I think part of this Zach is that people there watching this unfold you know they had different perspectives you know they're interpreting it in different ways because you know you're at a distance you're watching this you don't necessarily know everything as it's happening in real time in terms of all the information but we talked about and mentioned that there was the false starts okay after practice initially started the offense was looking good Sanders was out there things were cranking then the false starts, and that, one of those false starts was on Garrett Bowles. Now, here's where things get unclear, is that I've been told on one hand that Emmanuel Sanders you know, jumped on, on um, GB, on Garrett Bowles, for the false start and kind of got after him, and that Sutton somehow took exception to that and fired back at Sanders. And then I also heard the converse. I, I heard the opposite of that, that it was Sutton who jumped on GB, and Sanders checked him saying, you know, this isn't your your job. Now, I can understand it in both ways. Like, if it happened with Sanders being the one jumping on and Sutton, you know, taking exception and vice versa, both make sense to me. But at this point, we don't know exactly which way it was triggered. But it does sound like, Zach, somehow that last false start that was triggered by Garrett Bowles was what
2: somehow was the, the straw that broke this camel's back and set it off. It's also been the bane of contention, you know, through the first couple of weeks of training camp chat. Something Vic Fangio has talked about the pre-snap penalties, the mental errors on the offensive side of the ball. And when it's the same culprit, the entire team starts to get frustrated because they're all getting blamed for one guy making the same mistake. I'm not surprised if that's what happens. Someone blew their lid. But if Emmanuel Sanders, a veteran leader on this team, or supposedly calls out a young player, and then another young player calls out the leader for calling out the young player, that is not a good leadership power. Uh, Set up there. That would mean that Sanders does not respect it at all. And it it signals like an old guard, new guard thing where, you know, the younger players are kind of making their presence felt. Either way, uh, the writing's on the wall as far as I'm concerned. And I think Sanders sees that, too. That's where I keep coming back to. He knows it's probably his last year here. He knows Sutton is going to be the man for years to come. And he's doing everything in his power now physically and emotionally to get back and to still make his presence felt some way and to hang on to uh, what he accomplished and hopefully make that that battle a little tougher on sudden who is the future regardless you can't stop father time chef ultimately
1: and that's true however here's where things really get interesting is that that might be true that he sees writing on the wall and he's you know he's doing what he can to stop the onset of the inevitable however you can't deny we can't deny and it was the same last year when he was on the field the offense was a, had a completely different look. It was much more productive, efficient, had explosive you know, properties to it. And that was even with Case Keenum as the trigger man. When he went down, fans, you can remember, you go back and think to the final quarter of that season. Go look at the stats. I mean, everything went down. And that was with, with Sutton as the number one. And so we see early today, everything I was told by my guys that were there, how great, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the, the first-team offense who had kind of, you know, as we've talked about on the pod, lost many days in a row. and Then they've had a couple of successful days where it seemed they were the victors over the defense and so on and so forth. But it's really been a fair-to-middling type of performance overall from the offense, like something's missing, like a piece is missing. And now we know what it was. It was Emmanuel Sanders, who brings a dynamic to this thing that Sutton, at this stage in his career, simply does not. Now, I say that only to basically lay out the fact that If that's how it plays out this season, it'll be interesting to see. If Sanders can make himself that – I mean, if his presence on this offense is that invaluable and father time doesn't appear to have taken too much out of him this year and he can stay healthy, that's a big if because that's where also father time comes into play. The Broncos, they might not be in a position – you know, beggars can't be choosers. They need every offensive weapon they can get right now. And if a year from now we, we find out that you know Sanders had himself a solid year in the offense, we know what it looks like when he's not there, the Broncos are going to be in a tough position in terms of what do we do with this now 33-year-old wide receiver who is has established himself as such an integral part of our offense. Meanwhile, though, the flip side of that coin is the onus remains, not on Sutton or on Sanders, but on Sutton. Sutton's the one that has to show this front office, look, it's going to be okay after after 2019 for you to let Sanders go. I have arrived, I'm here, and we just haven't quite yet seen him make that leap, and we're not going to be able to see it till the actual games come around.
2: And Chad, there is no denying at all that Emmanuel Sanders makes us a better offense. There's no denying it. He's an integral piece, as you said. It's the reason why the Broncos did not draft or sign a pure speedster. He is that. He is the resident game breaker in that receiving core. But to me, ultimately, it doesn't give him the right, what he's accomplished or not, to, if he did this, take out his frustrations and kind of spark a physical fight between a younger teammate. If it's based and rooted in jealousy or resentment or envy or whatever, uh, if he had a valid reason, sure. But to spark it over the fact that he feels threatened because Sutton hasn't proved himself, I mean, that's – that's it takes a little too far. He knows what's up. He knows that even if he has a good season this year, Emmanuel Sanders, he'll probably sign somewhere else on a, on a prove-it deal. He'll probably get a, a two-year, three-year contract at most. Meanwhile, the Broncos are set for a while The Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, Juwan Winfrey, Tim Patrick, all young receivers, all one thing that Emmanuel Sanders does not have on his side, and that's simply age.
1: I have to wonder how much of this, now this is just me theorizing and spitballing, okay? But I have to wonder, too, how much of this might even be resentment or some leftover resentment to what happened with Demarius Thomas's departure from this team and Could perhaps we? Sanders somehow, yeah. some way blaming Sutton or at least holding that against him, even though, you know, Sutton couldn't control that he was drafted to the Denver Broncos. He's just gotta do what he can. He's he's gotta make hay. He's gotta find his way in the NFL. Came to the Broncos and it just so happened that, you know, they already had the exact carbon copy of him that was a nine year veteran already on the team that writing was on the wall immediately after the draft. We knew that. We knew that it was only a short matter of time for Demarius Thomas. I don't think any of us expected it to happen in the middle of the season uh, ahead of Week 9, but it did, and Sanders suddenly lost his, you know, his, his, uh, one of his best friends who he's played with since 2014. I wonder how much, Zach, that might have, have contributed to perhaps some of whatever the hard feelings Sanders seems to be harboring towards Cortland Sutton.
2: You know, I wouldn't put it past him given his, you know, eccentric personality, but if Emmanuel Sanders is holding it against Cortland Sutton because the Broncos drafted Sutton, then the Broncos traded to Marius Thomas, that is just plain weird, Chad. That goes beyond football. That's a serious uh, issue that Sanders would have to confront with himself. If the resentment goes that deep, you don't want a guy like that in the locker room anyway.
1: Well, before we take a break, I want to just take this question here because as everybody knows, it might not be Friday, it might not be Mile High Mailback Friday, but... Zach and I are your football priests, and whenever we can, we're going to be here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And obviously today it was kind of a uh, watershed moment in terms of questions for us, hitting us from Twitter especially. Fans worried over what this means and the implications and all that. This comes from Rob on Twitter, at f 365 He says, uh, early Friday mailbag question, but will this competitive issue between the two Bring out the best of both. And will the coaches slash front office need to step in? Now, I think the coaches have to step in on some levels, Zach. There's there's no getting around no. that. They have to somehow do what they can as an authority, of, uh, authority figure to stop this from bleeding out onto practice again. But from the front office, I saw fans, some fans today tweeting back on the links we were published saying – Trade Sanders, trade Sanders, get him out of there. Trade Sanders, which to me, I'm saying, pump the brakes because this offense needs Emmanuel Sanders right now.
2: Yeah, that's a severe overreaction, and that's coming. And I hate to say it from the same fan base that want that's declared Drew Bronco, yeah, Drew Lock a bust with the Broncos. But uh, it's not going to happen. He's not going to be traded. Nothing is going to happen with personnel moves. They're going to move past this in a couple weeks. We won't even remember this story, Chad. Hopefully, if things settle correctly, it's. It's at, in the best case scenario, a competitive moment, competitive spark between an older player looking to reclaim his past and a young player and ascending fast in this team. That's all we can hope it is right now. If it goes further than that, we'll see it in a couple weeks. But no personnel moves are going to be made from John Elway in the front office in response to this.
1: Hmm. Tricky day, tricky day, and who knows? We'll probably end up having to circle back and talk more about this later in the week because today, of course, you're listening to this on Tuesday. Zach and I are going to be off the next uh, day at least for building the Broncos to uh, publish the Scouts Eye preview, and there's probably going to be guys at the podium between now and then. There's a game Thursday night, and, of course, we'll be here for the gut reaction immediately following the game uh, for your listening pleasure. Late Thursday night, early Friday. So we'll see what shakes out on this storyline between now and then. And uh, I, I, I imagine we'll probably have to address this, at least from some other angle later on. But let's put this to bed for now. We're going to turn the page, talk about a few other things that happened on Monday. But first, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
3: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
0: <laughs> Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. for by America First Legal. All
1: right, Zach, a couple things I want to touch on. First and foremost, the hits keep coming to the off-ball linebacker core. Josie Jewell left practice early, and at first it wasn't clear that he was hurt because he wasn't carted off or anything. The, he just was seen leaving the field with trainers. After practice, Vic Fangio said, quote, he kind of tweaked his side a little bit. I told Vince Garcia, he was one of the athletic trainers, the head, in fact, to take him in and start treating him, closed quote. So once again, we don't know. It doesn't sound serious, Zach, but with now Todd Davis down, now Josie Jewell, the two-starting duo down, plus Joseph Jones, who technically, not counting Dakota Watson, who has, hasn't has played off-ball linebacker in a while, Joseph Jones was the next most experienced linebacker the Broncos had. He's down. His his timetable to return right now is up in the air. It could be a couple weeks with a torn pec or a pec or excuse me a tricep injury it could end up costing him the entire season we don't know yet meanwhile that leaves that puts the onus on the alexander johnsons of the world Keyshawn Bieria josh watson and joe Denine. so if in fact this injury ends up costing jewel more than a day of practice do you see the broncos maybe having to make a move in terms of bringing in an outside guy
2: I was going to say this, this screams like a nudge from the football gods, uh, reminding the Broncos they probably should have signed an inside linebacker or drafted a pure inside linebacker uh, higher up. Uh, I I would think they would be okay with the depth they have right now. I like Josh Watson and Alexander Johnson was one of the standouts from the game. But the depth now is a little worrisome. At least you have to have some camp bodies. And when Jewel comes back, when Davis comes back, they're going to work in slowly. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they brought someone in. But they're not going to make any big splash trades. This guy would just be insurance in depth right now to hold out a couple spots and keep the seat warm for Jewel and Davis when they return. I will say... Um, I hope obviously Jewel isn't injured. But if the good case to me is, it gives them an opportunity to look further at Josh Watson, at uh, Alexander Johnson, a guy they're very high on. So maybe they can unearth a gem and they can find in this in this bad news some good news that they have a long-term viability option behind uh, Davis and Jewel.
1: And that's actually kind of the the perspective that Vic Fangio took on Monday. He said, "Quote: You hate to see anybody go down, even if it's not too bad. But with Todd being down and Josie now." We'll see what's up with them. It does give those guys great opportunities. They are not one position right now that's worried about reps, close quote. So, yeah, right now amongst those four remaining guys, plenty of reps to go around. Plus, you got to factor in Justin Holland still seeing a few snaps. And uh, potentially in an emergency situation, you put Dakota Watson in there. And, in fact, I know when camp opened, the Broncos were even rotating uh, Jeff Holland in at off-ball linebacker just to kind of see how it looked. I don't love that. But they, they did try it out. So we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah, one of these guys, I I hope, we have to hope, I think, you know, takes this, this thing and runs with it. And if that ends up being Alexander Johnson, great. I mean, it was kind of cool watching that game. Really seeing him, at least in my opinion, for the first time with an extended look on defense with the Denver Broncos. And that six foot two length, man, at off-ball, it just makes the defense look different. Now, obviously, with that size. You lose a little bit of the lateral twitchiness in terms of just that quickness that comes with a smaller guy, slightly smaller linebacker, like even a Joseph Jones. However, I liked what I saw from, from Johnson for the most part.
2: Yeah, I can definitely see why now the Broncos committed so heavily to him last year. It kind of caught a lot of us by surprise. But they think they have a long-term uh, project, and he's gotten better since what you know from what we saw last year on the field. He's definitely, I think, going to thrive more in Vic Fangio's system as most players do but yeah he's the guy to meet chad not josh watson not anyone else he's the one that's going to benefit the most or potentially hurt his case the most from this absence from jewel now so hopefully against the seahawks he steps up and and you know establish himself truly as that direct backup to the two starters all
1: right last thing i want to touch on today and then we'll get out of here is just kind of a kind of an update on the quarterback situation so two things one we learned from fangio on monday that yes in fact we will see the debut of Joe Flacco with the Denver Broncos on Thursday night against the Seattle Seahawks. It's unclear, and the Broncos have not yet decided exactly how long uh, Flacco is going to play. My guess would be two or three possessions, you know, which might end up encompassing like the first quarter. But they're not going to risk him too unnecessarily in the in what will be his first preseason game. With still after that game, three more to go. So we're going to see Flacco. I want to ask you what you expect to see there. Well, let's, let's start there. What do you expect to see from Flacco in this in this opener? What version of Flacco, especially considering that on Monday he was picked off a couple times by Kareem Jackson, both of which were returned for scores?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's so hard to read into preseason because I think the Broncos coaches will be purposely vanilla as to not give anything away. Uh, on the other token, my heart would say that Flacco would want to push the ball down the field in his first opportunity to kind of, you know, Already get back to that reputation as that big arm guy who still has a place in this league. I would not be surprised if he got two or three series. And in those two or three series, they took a few deep shots down the field just to see what they can do. Even if he gets picked off, it's still preseason. They can still justify it as preseason. It doesn't matter just yet. It's not the regular season. But my brain tells me you'll probably see uh, maybe seven, six points, maybe three points. It's not going to be some explosion in his three series. He still has a lot of work to do, a lot of chemistry to build, but no injuries, Chad, and maybe some productive drives. I think that would be a success on Thursday.
1: The other thing that we learned on Monday, first off, as it regards Drew Locke, both of us talked about in the podcast following the opener that as – you know, let's just say unprepared as as Drew Locke appeared to be for NFL speed. You know, he looked like a deer in the headlights at times, even though, you know, he completed, I think, seven of 11 passes. And, you know, on paper, he looked efficient, even though his yards per completion were, were very, very low. However, we came out of that saying, look, you know, you want to get the most out of Drew Locke. You want to develop him. That's what the preseason's for. Give him the reps. Give him additional reps. Give him the second team reps. <clears throat> at least on some level, it sounds like, the Broncos are thinking similarly because on Monday he seemed to receive an increase in second team reps. Now, Kevin Hogan continued to also get some, so they're splitting them in the in the technical sense. However, when the chips were down late in the move-the-ball period, kind of think of it as a two-minute drill, it was Drew Locke out there to close practice, not Kevin Hogan. So afterward, Vic Fangio basically said, yeah, you know, um, he did see some more reps on second team. How much he's going to play and what the rotation is going to be on Thursday night, Zach. We don't yet know.
2: I could see it both ways, Chad. Honestly, if he wants to motivate Drew Locke, if he wants to take a tough love approach, he can start Hogan over him. Yeah, we'll we'll see how it
1: shakes out. I mean, it's uh, you know it's still early in the process, and hopefully, all I think all we can ask for is you know we get to see a, a, another extended look at Drew Locke as he did receive quite a few snaps in the preseason opener, and he needs to continue to get a lion's share of those backup. Reps, however, the Broncos end up divvying them out. So that'll do it though for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Zach and I, as mentioned, will be back in the saddle on uh, following immediately the Thursday night game. In the meantime, you're gonna get some building the Broncos scouting uh, the game. Scouts Eye Preview is gonna come out for you on Wednesday, so stay tuned for that. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. You can find my partner Zach Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman NFL. Remember, that's his new handle at Kelberman nfl myself at chad and jensen also make sure you're checking out the content that zach's cranking out over there at heavy.com plenty of broncos coverage still he's still covering your team and also sprinkled in some uh, general nfl content and coverage so check that out follow his writings on heavy.com easiest way to do that i remind you follow him on twitter all of our listeners on youtube keep doing your thing if you like what you're hearing here also go on apple Podcasts, give us a creative review for zach kelberman i'm chad jensen We will talk to you after preseason game two.
3: You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.